worship you this morning. We give you praise and glory and honor for you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. You know, we need to start really believing that. We say words, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe it down in our spirit, man? And that we transferred it and renewed our minds to the point that we believe that? Or we just say words that sound pretty or words that sound good and words that make us feel good whenever things are tough. But no, we need to know that that's really true and on the inside of us. This morning, as we were singing and worshiping in that last song, I was just thinking about all the things and all the battles that certain people are going through that I know about. And you know what? We need to rise up and thank God and speak His Word to those situations. Speak out of a heart of pure purity. Speak out of a heart of knowing what God's Word says about our situations. You know, we can decide that we're going to rise up above how we feel or we can succumb to it. You know, there are things in life that you just don't feel like doing, right? Sometimes. Yesterday was just hot and muggy. Friday and yesterday. And there were some things I had to do and I just didn't really want to do them. But I did it. And I, I found out how to, in the midst of it, praise God and, and kind of enjoy it in a way. You know, I thank God for technology, and I thank God for what He does. And you know, I, I, I'm on my little, my riding lawn, my lawnmower, and I um, have these headphones that help with the sound, but they also Bluetooth. So I'm listening to worship music. I got a backpack, I got a Camelback on my back, and I'm drinking water. So I got everything I need right there, right? And I'm, I'm just zooming and doing it. I, um, and then, you know, in the midst of I forget about what I'm doing. I forget that I'm really sweating. It's just awesome. Because, you know, in the midst of everything, we need to remember who our God is. Amen? And all those things have to bow. All those feelings and all those things have to bow to what God's Word says. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your anointing on the word. I thank you for what you are doing in and through us, Lord. We give you all the praise and the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated if you're here, if you're home. You just can stay in position or whatever. Maybe you were standing up worshiping with, worshiping with us. Then you can sit down. You know, last week I had this sermon all planned out and God decided to change it. So, this week I'm going to be talking about your mustard seed. And I know most of the time when people think of that, they start thinking about planting seeds, financial seeds, and all that. But I'm, this is a whole different, I'm coming at it a different way, okay? And we, we all have seeds to sow, and it, there are all kinds of things, right? Goodness, kindness, all kinds of things. But what I want to be talking about this morning is taking the seed that God gives you and plant what He tells you, plant what He gives you, whether it's big or small. But we're talking about small. And you know mustard seed, if you see it on that, and there are even pictures of it even smaller than that. Um, I have a picture of it just that you can barely see it on the end of your finger. And the Bible talks about the mustard seed, and I want to 
Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32 in the New Living says, here's another illustration Jesus used. Now, Jesus used a lot of illustrations, right? Or parables, they say. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Now, I want you to imagine this great big field and this little teeny seed planted in the middle of it. And you would think, well, what's going to become of that? All the grass around it, all the weeds. But he says, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Birds come and make nests. So it came from the smallest little thing and it grew into a big tree that birds could come to. Um, you know, when we look at this and when we think about how little this little seed is, the first thing I want to say, and I'll get into more of it later, but you first, you have to plant it. I mean, it, it, a seed by itself could sit, I could keep it in my pocket forever, right? And it'd still be a seed every time I looked in it. Oh, that's a seed. Oh, that's a seed. But when it goes into the ground, guess what happens? It begins to grow. Because God put in the ground what needs to be for that seed to grow. And that seed pulls its stuff from the ground. It pulls its nutrients, its fertilizer. So when we plant our seeds, we, we plant them into the kingdom of God. And there's in that kingdom of God what it needs to grow. I want to read this statement. When God is involved, something small can be transformed into something great. So when God's involved in what you're doing, when you're listening to what He says, and you're not just doing what you want to do, you're doing what God says to do, it can become something great. See, God can use people. He can use circumstances that maybe seem hopeless or insignificant. And He can bring about amazing results. Amen? So, <clears throat> when we plant these things, we plant them where God says to plant them, and when we put them in there, there may be all kinds of things around it. Right? Surrounding it. Now, you know, I plant tomatoes. I have these big barrels, and I planted four this year. And I don't know how many tomatoes I got. I got a lot of them off of it. But the year before, in one of them, I had planted cucumbers. Well, it decided one of the seeds fell out of that other cucumber, and it decided to come up with it. The tomatoes are long gone, but the cucumbers are still growing. It's those cucumbers that get real long. And, um, but even though there was tomatoes pulling on it and everything else, the cucumber decided he was going to grow and become something. In God's kingdom, people, situations, and circumstances are not limited to how they appear in the natural. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in or what, where you're at, you still have to sow the seed no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what people are saying. You can't do that. Don't do that. It's just worthless for you to try that because it won't work because it's just not big enough. You're not big enough. What you're doing is not big enough. And that little mustard seed is not something that exudes expectations, right? 
just a little teeny thing compared to the kernel of corn. That's a lot of difference. Um, and, you know, potatoes, you can take potatoes, you quack it off, and it's got what they call an eye. We used to call them eyes. I don't know what they really are. But, and you put that in the ground, it's a big thing, but it, it, it will grow. So um, so whatever we do, whatever we say needs to be according to God's will. Whatever we plant. And what I want to talk about this morning is not monetary things or anything. I want to talk about what God has given us. The gift that he has given you. Are you going to plant it? Are you going to let it stay? Are you going to let it plant it because, well, you know, it's not that big. And so I want to, give, I want to talk about three different uh, people in the Bible and how God used them in their situation because they were listening to him. First one I want to talk about is Gideon. How many of you know about Gideon? And you know his story. I am. Um, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm gonna read. Uh, some scripture that I don't have, so I. So I'm gonna make you get out your Bible. I'm gonna make you if you got it on your iPad or your phone, you pull it up, and then then I'll show you the next few verses. But Judges seven one through six, I want to read first because I thought. I had these other scriptures. I thought, I need to give you a little bit of background in case you don't know much about it. So it says, So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, Gideon and his army, got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. Now think about this. How long maybe has Gideon been putting this team together? And he's got a big team. I mean, big right and so he's going out to do what God has told him to do and then God's saying you got too many well how could you have too many think about that that's what you want to say how could I have too many you know in sports and and NFL whatever they have to cut their rosters down to a certain amount it says, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home. Wow. So what God is saying, you don't need those that are timid or afraid because they're going to run anyway. They're not going to be a help to you. They're going to be cumbersome. They're going to pull you down and drag you down. Now, I'm paraphrasing this, but this is what I feel like. That Okay, God said you got way too many, and the majority of them, I think there was probably a total of like 32,000 or so, but the majority of them were afraid. The majority of them didn't even want to go. Right? The majority of them were afraid. And so God says, just say that. So he said, if you're afraid, leave. That's pretty crazy, right? If you're Gideon, you're going, oh, man. So it says, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. 
You can imagine Gideon said, well, okay, we're down to maybe, but no, no, it's way too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink water with their mouths in the stream. Only three of the hundred of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So God, in the next verse, in verse 7, which I have up here, it says, With these 300 men I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. So there were only 300 of the 32,000 that actually wanted to really fight and, and that knew how. See, there were, the first ones didn't really want to. They were afraid, right? The second group, Wanted to, but they didn't have what they needed to do it. They would have been caught unawares. So God said, that's just baggage. So here God's giving them 300. Now think about what Gideon felt. I had 32,000 people going to help me. Now I only have 300. What's going to happen now? But you know what? Gideon trusted God, or he wouldn't have went this far, right? He really trusted God. So it says, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Okay, guys, you're out of here. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. He kept all that stuff. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. So, and we know the rest of the story. He told them to go down to take a ram's horn and a, a clay jar that had a torch in it and just stand out there. And when he told them to, they blew the horn and the Midianite was... <laughs> they flew. You know, even in one time there, God told him to go down and hear what they were saying. And that was encouraging to him because they were saying, you know, these guys... Are going to win. So what the deal is. Is that Gideon was willing to follow God's instruction. And because of that he saw victory. See we want to plant something. But we want to put what we want to put. And we want to go our way. And, follow, and not follow God's instructions. Even when it go, God's instructions goes against what we know in the natural. Well you know I think I got a lot better chance if I got this many men than if I only got 300. No, if Gideon could have sat there and figured all that out, he could have called them all back and said, well, you know what, God, God's just, he's slipping. So I want to do, we, we're going to do it this way. Well, that would have been disastrous. We have to listen to what God says. Do what God says to do the way he says to do it. So Gideon won the victory by what? Following God's instructions, instruction, even when it didn't make sense. So only use what God says to you. Only use what God says to you. But I, but nothing. That's what my mama used to say. But nothing. When I'd say, but mama. My daddy was the same way. But daddy, nope. But nothing. You just do what I say. Okay. So you only use what God provides, what God says to do, and you only use what God ordains. 
That's where we make a mistake. We want God to ordain what we want to do instead of using what God's ordained to do, us to do. So follow his instructions, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when in the natural, it makes no sense at all. So this was Gideon. So Gideon followed God's instruction. Gideon decided that he was going to follow God even though in the natural it made no sense at all. But because he listened, he did. So his seed that he planted was to believe God. His seed was to take the small thing that God had given him and put it into effect, and, it, and the victory was there. Had he taken, well, this seed's much bigger. It'll do much better, but it would not have. And then the next person in the Bible, we're going to talk about Jesus. And Jesus, this is just one example of what Jesus did. But it says Matthew 14, starting in verse 15, it says, That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. So they wanted him to know, hey, it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. We would say, send them uptown to the food court so they can get something to eat because it's getting late, it's going to get dark, and they're going to be hungry and not going to listen. But Jesus said, this isn't necessary. You feed them. <laughs> what? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And there's 5,000 people, men, plus the women and children. And God said, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. So he, he said, just bring them all here. Give me what you got. Bring them here. So Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, not just a little bit, but as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Jesus took what God provided, and we should use what God provides. If it doesn't seem to be enough, we may have a better and bigger idea, but we take what God provides us, right? That's what Jesus did. And, you know, there's another uh, time later on when Jesus fed, I think, even more. He even had to remind the disciples. See, we need to remember what God has done. He, in that, that uh, time, he even reminded the disciples, do you not remember they were concerned about the people eating. Do you don't remember when we fed all those people that day? Remember. So we use the second thing we need to do and what Jesus did is we need to use what God provides, what God gives us, what God has given us. So first of all, with Gideon, we need to follow God's instruction, no matter how, if it makes sense or not, then we need to use God's provision, what he provides, whether that makes sense or not, right? 
Whether in the natural, it makes sense. In the natural, you couldn't feed people with five loaves and two pieces of fish. Not that many. So Gideon and Jesus. The last one is Moses. Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord. See, the Lord's told him to go speak to Pharaoh. He said, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. So what he's saying is, God, even though you've spoken to me, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not a good speaker. I, I don't speak. I never have been. And, it, you know, he talked about he stutters. And here it says, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. <laughs> then the Lord asked him this. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. See, Moses is like, but, but you know how you do that? The same thing again. Times that God has asked me to do something sometimes, told me to do something sometimes. I was kind of, well, I, and I've done this before. Lord, I, I can't do that. It says, now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Says then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. He is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your and also he added this and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. You know what? God always makes a way. You know what? He doesn't accept excuses. You say, well, I can't do it. And he says, Well, here, here's a way you can do it. You know, if you just absolutely say, well, God, I, I can't do that. I, I just can't do it. And then he says, well, guess what? You got a brother. You got Aaron, who's great with speaking. So I'll send him with you. See, I don't think that Moses was just wanting to get out of speaking. He probably had fear about the whole thing. I, no matter what I say, he's not going to listen to me. No matter what I say. But he says, okay. I'll get rid of your excuse and I'll send somebody with you that can talk. You just tell him what I say to say. See, in all three of these situations, the circumstances seemed destined for insignificance. 
Uh, now, uh, in, in Jesus' case, as far as the disciples were concerned, but Gideon, thought, you know, I'm sure he was thinking, what can I do with 300 people? How insignificant is 300 people when I had 32,000 people? See, that's why I said it doesn't matter the number. It matters if you're doing what God says to do. It doesn't matter how many. But there was one thing in common in all these three scenarios. is God was involved. And in the end, they allowed God to be involved. Moses, even though, see, God thwarted that one fear he had. And if Moses had another fear, God was like, you know, Moses probably, you know, I might as well just go on with the plan right now because I got a feeling no matter what I bring up, he's going to say, I got another way. Oh, we can do it this way. See, God was involved. God always provides what you need for what he's asked you to do. Amen? If he's asked you to do something, he will provide what you need to do it. I mean, you think of other people. Think of Zacchaeus. He even had a song when I was in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. But did God use him? Yeah. He even got the attention of Jesus. You know, he's like, oh, there's that little man sitting up in the tree. Tell him to come over here. David. David was a little shepherd boy. And God used him <laughs> as he came and the, the giant came against him. And the giant and everybody else was like, how can you puny little thing do anything? You're just a little shepherd boy. See, God was involved. God was involved in his life. He was willing to use what God gave him to use. Look at Billy Graham. He was a little farm boy from Charlotte. And he's known all over the whole world. Well, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. Why? Because he was willing to do what God said to do. I'm sure he didn't think he could do anything probably when it came to that point. So what I'm saying this morning is you need to take what God has given you, what he's told you, and plan it. Whatever that gift is, you might seem small, it might seem big. Whatever it is, you need to sow it. Let me read Matthew 13, 31 and 32 again. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. But I'll say this, before a seed can grow, it has to be planted. As I said before, you can carry it in your pocket. You know, we do. I do something that I learned from my dad, and I, I if I have seeds left over, I put them in the freezer. Anybody ever done that? You know what happens? You take them out of the freezer next year and put them in the ground, and guess what they do? I don't know what that does unless it keeps them from fermenting or keeps them from trying to grow any further. But when you're ready, when it's time to plant them, they're ready. Right? 
They're ready. So I put them in the freezer and I use them next year. And then you think about the little cucumber I was talking about. You, ever, you know how tiny cucumber seeds are? They're small too. But it was down in that dirt. And when something hit it, it was revived and it grew. And I just pulled two about that long off of it yesterday or the day before. I'm mowing grass and I'm like, oh, there's two more cucumbers. And they like seem like they grow overnight. So you have to plant your seed and nobody else can plant it for you. Well, I'll wait, wait and let Mike plant mine. Well, Mike might not ever come to my house and plant it. He ain't going to drive that far. He lives on the other side of the earth, and I live on this side. We live a long way. We both live out and way out. But a seed, it can never grow. It can never produce anything until it is planted. Something else you got to do. You got to water it. You got to feed it. Somebody has to, right? So, you know, think about right now, what are you doing with your seed? What are you doing with God, the seed God has given you? So you say, well, I don't even know where my garden is. We all have a garden, right? And we have control over what we plant in it. There's certain things I don't plant in my garden because I don't eat them. There are a couple of things I plant that somebody else eats that I know that I'm not going to eat it, but I'll let them eat it. I'll give it to them. In other words, we all have an area of influence. Our garden is our area of influence that we, we, that's around us that we live in. Your area of influence are the people that you deal with on a daily basis. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, your friends, your friends at church, your brothers and sisters at church. That's our areas of influence. And every time you see, every time you go to work, every time you go to church, every time you go out with your friends, every time you go with the family, you have the opportunity to sow into their life. And sometimes you're the only one that can. You're the only one. You may be the only one that they know of that's really a Christian. So we have that opportunity to sow into their lives. And we have to make sure we plant things in the correct way, too. Right? When you're planting something, there's a certain way to plant it. There's a certain time to plant it. There, you know, if I wait till December to plant tomatoes, they're not going to do anything. Not around here. Now, in Nicaragua, you can plant them any time of the year, and they'll come up because they, they have warm climate all the time. The coldest it gets there, unless you go up in the mountains, is cold enough where you don't break a, as much sweat as the other day. Right? Y'all that have been with us, you know. And I think Chenandega never gets that cold. It's sweat all the time. <laughs> how do we plant? How do we do this? How do we plant things? How do we sow things in the right way? We have to make sure that our actions, our words, and our attitudes are according to God's word. According to what he says to do and how he says to do it. All these things are in his word. 
See, if we do what God says to do and we sow it in the right way, we have the potential to see it produce fruit in people's lives, the people around us. You can say your ministry or whatever. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody's a minister, right? It's not just those of us who stand in the pulpit or, or those of us who lead or those of us who teach or those of us who, who worship or who lead worship. It's not just that. It's everybody has the potential to plant and watch it grow and be fruit in other people's lives. It don't matter if it's a gifting, if it's a talent, if it's anointing, if it's money, if it's things, whatever it is. Right? Whatever it is. And sometimes we just plant the seed and God sends somebody else to water it. And he is the one that makes it grow. Ultimately, we can't make it grow. One of the things is he put in the earth what needs to put in the earth to bring out what's in that seed. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So, you, you know, sometimes you will plant a seed, but you won't have anything to do with it as far as watering it, nurturing it. Sometimes you plant it in somebody's heart. God sends somebody else there to nurture it, to water it, to feed it, and then he'll make it grow. So God causes our seed to grow. You don't cause it to grow. God does. You know what? That must, that little, and it doesn't matter how small it is or how insignificant you think it might be, but think of that mustard seed. How little it was, but it says that it grows big enough for the birds to take shelter from the sun. They get protection from it. So the small seeds that God may have you to plant will bring life to people. May bring protection to people. Just think your seed could be life to somebody. Your seed, my seed, it could be life to somebody. Charles Spurgeon says this, Do what you do thoroughly, pray over it heartily, and leave the result to God. See, that's why when you, you know when you see people and they uh, have things going, and you just want to shake it into them. You know, you planted your seed, and now you want to make it work, right? And sometimes we do more harm by trying to make it work, trying to shake them into. <laughs> you ever, I, I don't know if people do that. I guess nowadays people don't do a whole lot of things they used to do, but. You know, I, um, I think it was my grandmother. She said, I'm going to shake you, boy. I'm going to shake it into you. You know what I'm saying? So do what you do thoroughly. In other words, do it exactly like you're supposed to do it. Pray over it heartily and leave the result to God. Matthew 17, 20 says, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Uh, if you have faith as a mustard seed, 
you can take what little bit you got and put it into effect. Put it into action. Let God make it grow. See, as long as we're doing our part, as long as we're doing what God says to do, sowing seeds in our garden or our area of influence will bring about transformation and growth. You know what's really cool? is to see a seed that you planted years ago and you just happened to run across them. I've done that before. Like when, when I first accepted Christ and, you know, uh, we did a lot of, we, you know, we had a Christian contemporary band group, whatever you want to call it. And we did youth retreats. We did, we sang in places. And, you know, what's really neat is to like, See somebody then, and you see them 20, 30 years later, and they're living for Christ. You never knew what happened, but you see that. I think God loves to let us see those things. And he's like, wow, look at this tree. Some of them you would have never thunk. You never thought that could happen almost. So I want to encourage you this morning to... Continue to be a, God, a part of what God's plan is for you. So you can bring life to those around you. Don't you want to bring life to people around you? Not death, but you want to bring life? And remember this, you only need what God says you need. You only need what God says you need. I wanted to read this morning's or today's, in our little books, the Word for Today devotional, if you don't have one, get one. Take one and share it with somebody. Look what it, this is what it was this morning. It says, look beneath the surface. Don't judge a book by its cover. John Wesley said, we should be rigorous in judging others and gracious in, ju I mean, rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Why did Jesus say, but look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly? Now, in verse 24. Because, and that's of John 7, 24, excuse me. Because he had experienced the pain of rejection and misunderstanding, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The apostle James writes, How can you claim to have faith in Christ if you have favor if you favor some people over others and give special attention to the rich but say to the poor, stand there or sit on the floor, doesn't this discrimination show? Your judgments are guided by evil motives. If you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. The story is told that when country single, singer Lonzo Green, now how many ever heard of them? I love music and know a lot about music, but I never heard of Lonzo Green. But listen to this. Lonzo's Green's nephew, Jimmy, asked him to tune a friend's guitar, and he agreed. The problem was, Jimmy's friend was from the wrong side of the tracks. Some of you might not know what that means, but back in the day, there was the wrong side. In other words, it was the area where you didn't go, and you didn't want to go, and all that kind of stuff. And Jimmy's parents wouldn't allow him this he would not allow him inside the house where Uncle Lonzo was visiting. So they decided to meet outside. As the kid approached, Green noticed his self-consciousness and sidewise glances at the upscale neighborhood. Lonzo 
who had experienced poverty and discrimination in his own life, turned, tuned the boy's old guitar, played a few songs, and taught him some chords. The young man thanked him and left with a warm memory he would carry out through the rest of his remarkable life. That boy crossed the tracks for good with his guitar and soft, polite drawl and hesitant smile and was never unwelcome again. That's because the boy who wasn't allowed in the house that day was Elvis Presley. So what I'm saying is that seed that, that, that his uncle Lonzo, that we don't even, I mean, whoever heard of him, was willing to plant into Elvis Presley's life, look what happened. He was willing to look past what little small, and you know how some people, well, they ain't never going to become nothing because of where they're from. That's not true. When God gets a hold of you or when somebody's willing to plant a seed into your life, it can change it. And I'm sure there's some of us in here that that's been said about us, but look what God has done. You notice I didn't say, look what you have done. Look what God has done. I know what God has done in my life. Even when some people pointed and said, you'll never amount to anything. And that's true. But with God, I become what he wants me to become. Amen? I hope you grasp this this morning and realize what Let's stand this morning. You know, um, I want to, um, we're, we're going to have communion this morning. And I um, want to say, those who can participate, if you're at home, if you've got something you can participate with, I'm sorry I didn't pre-warn you. You know what? If you don't have a communion cup, just raise your hand and somebody will bring you one if you want to participate this morning. You know, this is not just a ritual thing that we do. This is something that God that Jesus thought was very important. So his last supper when he had it with the disciples, he, he's like, I got something very important to tell you. Something that I want you to continue to do. And every time you do it, I want you to remember what it represents. So Jesus took disciples, he broke bread, and he's and I can imagine him holding so this is representation of my body. Being broken for you. I broke it up. And every time you do this, I want you to remember this. And, you know, I remember when I do this, I remember what Jesus went through for me. His body was broken for me. He suffered everything that I could ever think of, mentally, physically, and everything. He knows what it feels like. So when you're in that place, He knows what it feels like. He did that for you and for me so that we might be set free. Amen? So, Jesus, we thank you this morning for your body broken for us, 
your willingness to sacrifice the body that you occupied while you were here on earth so that we might be free. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We do this in remembrance of Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And then he took the cup with the wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Jesus, and we know this, but Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb that was poured out on the altar of God once and for all, taking the guilt for our sin, taking the condemnation for our sin. So we might be set free and we might know salvation and we might have eternal life. So Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your blood shed for us on Calvary's tree, spread out on the altar that we might be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy and your many blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that sets us free. Father, I just pray that we all remember and we all know that you have things for us to plan. And that, Lord, we will do it no matter how small we think it is or how insignificant. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to do one thing as we close we close it out. But I want to pray for you this morning. I know there's ones I know that are sick or maybe you have a loved one sick. I want to pray for you this morning. If, if that's you, I want you to come up here and we're going to pray for you. We're going to all stretch our